0: This is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. We are bought purchased by the blood of Jesus, he cleansed us from our sin. We understand that there's nothing in our own merit or in our own effort that makes us right with God, right? There's nothing that we could ever do to atone for our sin. That is all resting fully upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? That's something that that's something that we have our hope and our faith placed in, and that's good things. That's a, that's a good news. But then Paul talks about this thing of taking the grace of God in vain. And we, we looked at the Corinthian church, and we kind of looked at what the, the issues that they were dealing with, and we, we, we realized that we probably don't have a clear understanding of what the grace of God actually is. And Paul's addressing this with the church in Corinth, and we came to a definition of the grace of God as empowerment to live holy, right? Right? We, 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 we inevitably uh, wound up on an understanding that grace is something that God gives us to live victorious over sin, not as an excuse to justify sin in our life, right? And the, oh, the whole message centered around this understanding that God calls us to be holy as he is holy, right? The command that Jesus gave us, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, which is an impossible thing, right, for you or I to accomplish, Nate Ward, in and of himself, is never going to be perfect. But then all of a sudden, when we understand that we're uh, temples and houses of the Holy Spirit, we lose the, the justification, we lose the excuse that we're only human, right? Because now we have the spirit of a living God that raised Jesus from the dead, dwelling inside of us that takes away our excuse, and we believe that if Jesus called and asked us to do something, he's fully prepared to equip us to do what he asked us to do, right? And so we, we came to this understanding that the grace of God that is given to us as believers in Jesus is actually empowerment to live victorious over sin, not just to excuse it in our lives. And so with that as a backdrop, um, I really want to... I really want to emphasize the fact that it all hinges and rests upon God's gracious gift of His Son, Jesus. It all rests and hinges upon the fact that God has extended grace towards us. It's not because we were good. It's not because we figured it out. It's not because of our own works or our own efforts that we uh, somehow attain right standing before the Lord. But we did emphasize and we talked last week about this verse in 2 Corinthians 7 where Paul tells us to cleanse ourselves. Which seems like it's almost in opposition of everything else Paul teaches about where our faith comes from. And, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a truck out there. Uh, I thought somebody was riding a lawnmower or something. Um Reel it back in. It's not in opposition to everything else Paul teaches about faith, right? Or teaches about salvation. And it's not in a sense that somehow we earn salvation by doing things right or correct. But it is a call to take some responsibility for our faith. There's a call for us to take responsibility for our actions in the way that we're living our life. There is a certain level of responsibility in the life of the believer to live holy, right? We can't, we're not going to be able to lay back on the day of the judgment seat of Christ or the white throne judgment when we're standing before Jesus, right? And uh, we're going to say, well, God, you know, you never helped me live holy. You know, I asked you, to, I asked you to make me holy that one time, and it didn't happen, and so I just continued living in sin. Um, but I said the prayer that one time. It's on you, Jesus. You didn't do it. That excuse isn't going to fly at the end of this age because He's made every provision for us to live victorious in Jesus. And so, there has to come, we have to realistically come to terms at some point in time that we play a part in this story, right? It's not by our strength, it's not by our merit, it's not by what we do, it's by what Christ already did. But he invites us to partner with his Holy Spirit in this thing of salvation, in this thing of sanctification, of living holy. Right. So, with that kind of as the backdrop, I want to talk this morning about sin, um, because we we kind of we understand it's it's kind of the major theme throughout Scripture, and it's a big deal to the Lord. Um, and so, I actually I don't always title my messages. Uh, but I titled this message, No Big Deal, this morning. And I, I wanted to talk to you. Uh, I'm going to start with Proverbs 14:9, And if you guys are taking notes, you can write this down. But there's some wisdom here in the book of Proverbs that it tells us that fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. And to me, when I read that, it's, they, they mock at sin. They make light of sin right? (laughs) It's not a big deal to them. And that's what the foolish do. And uh, friends, I don't want to be a fool. (laughs) And uh, I believe that in our society, in our culture, if there has ever been something that has kind of been perpetuated is that sin is no big deal, right? Now, we we might make a big deal about like if you're murdering and raping people, right? That might be a big deal. Like we might you might make even the news on that in some cases in some cases you get away with it too <laughs> right we, we know the big sins right like if you cheat a bu- people out of a bunch of money or you're um, you're caught up in some kind of scheme of deception or whatnot that w- w- we're, we're quick to say yeah that's bad that's probably not a big deal but how often do the things that scripture address the little things the maybe the the, the lewdness or lying or or um, or lustful thoughts, or all these different things um, that are kind of treated as no big deal in our society. It's no big deal in our culture because you know what? Everybody struggles with them. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's human. So let's not make a big deal about everybody's imperfections, right? And can I tell you, that that kind of thinking, I believe, has invaded and permeated the culture of the church to such a degree that it's actually robbing Jesus of his glory. I love what Charles Spurgeon says, and I quote this quite often, but it says that too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. Let that weigh in. He goes on to say, He who has stood before his God, convicted and condemned with a rope around his neck, is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven, and to live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. Too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of their Savior. To many, sin is not that big of a deal. When I was 18 years old um, and I was working at a church in Pueblo, Colorado, I was a janitor. (laughs) I'd been the janitor for a number of years. Um, Word had gotten around in the community that my parents had sold my car uh, for crack cocaine. on the day of my high school graduation. <laughs> and so uh, I was in this predicament where uh, I didn't have a vehicle, and I was walking to work, and uh, it, was, it was just kind of one of those scenarios in life that would have made a great like, like dramatic movie moment or something like that. And uh, long story short, I show up to work one day, and I, I notice this strange car parked outside of the activity center. And the activity center was kind of a separate building that the church owned where they had youth ministry and all these things. And it was my responsibility to be kind of the maintenance man for this facility. And we always had kind of I- interesting characters uh, in the parking lot. Um, there were known drug deals to take place. It was not the nicest area of town. Um, <laughs> and so there was always kind of sketchy things taking place and going on. And so I kept Making note of this car that had just been parked in the middle of um, in the middle of the parking lot, it seemed like somebody had abandoned it there. And I kept letting the pastor know uh, what was going on, and it's like, what should we do about this? It's kind of weird. And long story short, um, it was actually a vehicle that somebody had anonymously donated to the church to give to me. And uh, I was really, I was really surprised and perplexed by that. Like it was one of those things that was a genuine shock. And I still have no idea who gave me the vehicle or where it came from because they wanted to remain Anonymous. Um, But it was, uh, it was a great blessing and a great joy for me. Unfortunately, um, I didn't know the history of the car. I didn't know any of the maintenance that had been done on it because it was kind of a, it was an anonymous gift, and so I didn't know who to ask for questions. And I say that because um, of what happened and where this story's going. But realistically, I wouldn't have known what questions to ask anyway. So it's not like the outcome would have been any different. But at the time, as an 18-year-old kid, um, my thought process didn't go so much to uh, vehicular maintenance or what was potentially wrong with the car or what it might need, my thought went to, wow, we need to get a kickin' stereo in this car, right? (laughs) Because if you turn the radio up loud enough, you don't hear everything else wrong with the car, right? (laughs) That was how I used to fix my cars. (laughs) Um, Long story short, uh, this, uh, this car, it was a Dodge Neon, and it was a 2001 Dodge Neon. It was a great little car. Um, and it didn't have very many mileage ho- miles on it. It was, it was fantastic for, for me. But it didn't last me very long. It only lasted me a couple of months because um, the timing belt had broken in the car, and it's one, it's, there's an interference engine in that particular vehicle, which means if the timing belt goes out, everything goes out. <laughs> the water pump goes out, and it, the engine was shot, <laughs> essentially. But I had no idea what was going on underneath the hood. I had no idea what was actually transpiring. To me, that wasn't a big deal, but because that wasn't a big deal based out of my negligence and my ignorance, it wound up having devastating results. The same is true with sin in our lives. We may not We may not understand exactly how it's affecting us. We may not understand what's taking place um, internally in terms of sin, but it's important that we subject ourselves to the master who does know what's wrong and does know what needs to be fixed sooner rather than later because inevitably there are consequences for sin. for negligence, there's consequences for ignoring seemingly small issues um, until they get to big issues. the 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 cost to fix to change the timing belt in that particular car was like two hundred and thirty six dollars. That was with labor. It was super cheap. It wasn't a very hard fix to do. That was uh, that was without the water pump. You should. Anyway, um, but I remember this, not being that hard of a job on this particular vehicle. Other vehicles can be quite difficult, um, (laughs) but this, this, this car, it wasn't a big deal, and then, um, because I failed to do that then, um, when I first received the car, it had irrevocable consequences later. I mean, it wasn't worth it to fix the car after the engine blew in it. I mean, I threw a rod in the engine, all the, all the fun stuff, and, um, all that to say, sin is the same way. Can I tell you, whatever struggle we have right now in terms of sin that may be rearing its head in our life, the Lord wants to deal with it in its infancy long before it reaches maturity because when it reaches maturity, it results in death. That's something that's important for us to understand, right? James 1.15 tells us that sin, when it's full grown, leads to death. I think a lot of the times we have this understanding of sin that God hates it when we do bad things. Like he hates it when we lie, he hates it when we cheat, he hates it when we steal, he hates it when we murder. That's true, he hates all of that. He doesn't want us to do any of those things. But it's not because the action in and of itself that he has this hatred towards sin. He hates the consequence far more than he hates the actual action. That's the reasoning behind him hating the action because he understands the consequence of that action and that consequence is that you are separated from him because he's holy, because he's pure, because he's good. If we remain in sin, we cannot have fellowship with him. And that's why... We have to make a big deal about sin. That's why we have to make a big deal about the inadequacies of our heart, the things that would stir up inside of us, because Jesus died for them. <laughs> it was a big deal to Jesus. Read Isaiah chapter 53 and tell me it was not a big deal to the Lord. In fact, let's read it. How about we do that? Does that sound okay with everybody? I'm going to pull it up. Beginning in verse 5, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Not his, ours. He's talking about our sin here. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people he was punished he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death though he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth yet it was the lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer and through and though the lord makes his life an offering for sin the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thank you, Jesus. Just thank you, Jesus. Sounds like a big deal to me, friends. Read... Reading Isaiah 53 just gives me, we're not going to expound upon it in its entirety, but to me, really, it puts into perspective how weighty our sin actually is, how big of a deal it actually is. Can I tell you that the Lord so desires you? It says it was the Lord's will to crush him. That's crazy to think about because God so desires for his creation, that's you, that's me, to be in fellowship with him, to be with him where he is. That he paid an impossible price for us to be there. Sin is a big deal because it separates us from him. Sin is a big deal because it results in death. Now, I want you to think about this, right? What happened in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit in the garden, right? Sin entered the world, but um, (laughs) what Adam and Eve said was that we can't eat that or we're going to die. And the enemy twists it and says, you surely won't die, right? Did God really say that? (laughs) And immediately, right, they took they took the fruit. They didn't die, right? So was Satan telling the truth? No. In the same way, sin doesn't have we don't always see the immediate consequence of sin, right? If if that were true, <laughs> right? If we were to see the immediate consequence of sin, we would not do it. <laughs> but oftentimes uh, the consequence doesn't come due until way later. <laughs> right? What, the saying is that sin is fun for a season. <laughs> but when it comes time, and when it comes time to pay up, I can tell you that it's not fun. I want to talk with you this morning about the severity of sin. So turn with me to Mark chapter 9. The message is not going to be long this morning. I actually just had one verse or one passage of scripture here that I wanted to talk about with one very specific point that I want to make. Because I I think we understand how severe sin is. I think we understand here in this place how much God hates it because he hates being separated from his people. Because he's motivated by love and that love wants us to be with him him. That's the motivation that God has because he's holy. He cannot allow sin to compromise his character. Mark chapter 9, we're going to read in verse 42. These are the words of Jesus. These are red lettered. These are, these are not uh, Nate's like creative interpretation and spin on some kind of theological thought. This is coming straight from the source. This is what Jesus says. And I want us to not kind of write it off as something that's intense or insane because, you know, people did that when Jesus would say hard things in Scripture and they would turn away and cease to follow him. I want us to approach the word of God this morning with reverence, with willingness to understand and ask the Lord for insight into what he's actually speaking to us. Verse 42 says, but if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin. Now, I need you to understand here, he's not just specifically talking about children. I think sometimes we read this because we read it in other passages of scripture as children come to Jesus. That it's only in regards to if somebody causes a child to fall away from the Lord. I think that's true. Um, but he's also talking about people that trust in Jesus. He's talking about followers of Jesus, those that have faith in him, right? We're called to be like children, right? We're called as children of God. I just don't want us to kind of have this box around it. It's only kids. If you cause somebody else, maybe that because they're over 13, to fall away from the Lord that, oh, thank, thank the Lord I don't get a millstone. Uh, <laughs> um, it's important to understand Um, the entirety of what Jesus is talking about here. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter into eternal life with only one hand than to go into unquenchable fires, than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter into eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. Jesus is using some pretty pointed and graphic language here, I believe, to grab our attention and not miss what he's talking about. Now, can I tell you, I don't think Jesus is literally saying, cut off your hand or cut off your foot or gouge one of your eyes out, because we understand that sin is more so a heart issue than it is actually a sin of action. That's something that Jesus addresses. And just because you don't have a hand doesn't mean that it's going to keep you from sin. The context of what Jesus is talking about here um, and why we may, some would label it as hyperbole, I don't believe that's true at all. I believe Jesus is very intentional about what he's speaking here and the weight of what he's saying is 100% true. He's not exaggerating in the least bit, but what he's speaking to also has a spiritual ramification to our lives and I, I think simply what he's saying is if you are struggling with sin... If something is in your life that is leading you away from the Lord and into temptation, take drastic action against it. And I really strongly believe what I received from the Lord in preparation for this morning was that people need permission to take drastic action against their sin. They need to know that it's okay to take some dramatic recourse in their life to turn away from sin. You know, I I think all the time of how my life would look differently if I was really in shape. Like if I was just ripped and I could, I love playing ultimate Frisbee, but sometimes we get these CrossFit guys out there and I physically cannot keep up with them because they can run circles around me. You know, our friend Tate Hinger, he's a firefighter, so he can't be here on Sundays anymore, but he comes on Sunday nights. He's a young guy. Like, he's insane when it comes to his stamina. I cannot keep up with that guy. Like, he's just energizer bunny. He goes and goes and goes and goes, and I can only keep up with him in, like, my dreams. <laughs> but let's say I wanted to get really ripped, and, like, I just wanted, like, muscles coming out of my muscles, right? Uh, <laughs> I worked out with, like, Peyton and Austin, like, twice <laughs> before I got married. I was on, like, this re- regiment that I was going to, like, get ripped. didn't happen because I think somewhere in my mind I expected dramatic results without taking dramatic action to get those results. And I think a lot of the times we expect dramatic and drastic results in our spiritual life without taking drastic steps and drastic measures to see change spur about in our spirit man. In the same way, we think like, oh man, I just really want to get healthy, but I don't want to change my diet and I don't want to exercise. Right? If you guys figure that out, let me know. But it's not going to happen, I can guarantee it. Friends, we cannot expect radical growth, we cannot expect these kind of radical transformations if we're not willing to make radical decisions and drastic decisions to change our lives. And now understand this, I'm not talking about us just making things happen with our own work. It only comes by the grace of the Lord and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He'll help us. He's not going to call us to do anything that he's not fully equipped for us to do. But I really believe what Jesus is talking about here is making some drastic decisions. And uh, I believe that there we live in a generation that values convenience more than the actual end result. Right, That's why people microwave food, and I'll never understand it. My wife will get on my case because she'll microwave anything, and I can't do it. <laughs> it changes the texture of delicious food. It does. and I'll, That'll be my soapbox, and I will stand on it, and I will preach it to the end of my day, but it's convenient, right? And we're, we're okay with something being convenient if at the end of the day, our culture at least, we're okay with something being convenient even if it's of a lower quality. Right, that's why fast food exists. us <laughs> it's Chick-fil-A, you can get both. That's the only example. But <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you're going to go to McDonald's and you're going to get a burger in 30 seconds and it's going to be pretty mediocre. You come to my house and I'll make you a burger and it'll be delicious, I promise you. There'll be no comparison, but it'll take time. It'll probably cost a little more money too. but it'll be worth it. But we live in a culture, we live in a generation, we live in a society that has valued convenience over quality. And I would say this, and my warning to you is never let convenience rob you of your holiness. I say that because I believe that drastic action needs to be taken against sin. I don't know how many men of God that I've had a conversation with that are in like a deep struggle with pornography, but they're unwilling to get rid of their smartphone because they need it for work. Seriously? What's more valuable, your purity, your relationship, and your right standing before God, or your ability to respond to emails quickly? Seriously. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, friends, if you have, if you have a, a struggle with a particular sin, or something that's robbing you of your life with God, get rid of it. Take some drastic action against it. And and I would dare to say God will honor it. Don't think if you're not willing to take some drastic action to cut some things out of your life that God won't honor it. You know, I know Kelly and I, we've talked about, we've had to unfollow people on social media. It's like, I'm sorry, but everything you're posting is not beneficial for me, and I don't grow closer to the Lord when I see what you're posting. We're friends and I want you to come follow Jesus, but it's not worth my relationship with God. (laughs) Some of you all need to dump out the liquor cabinet. (laughs) I'm not going to preach you into hell if you had some wine with dinner last night, but I'm saying that I know for a fact that it's a snare to many and you're wondering why you keep following, follow back into temptation. Cut it off. Get rid of it. Take some drastic action. I know it's worth a lot of money. Dump it down the toilet. Be like Darwin, who burned all his drugs. I don't know how, when you you share your testimony, I'm sure that your drug paraphernalia and everything that you had was worth a considerable amount of money. But you took some drastic action against it, right? And you've lived free to this day from it. Praise God. Some of y'all need to stop flirting with sin. It's in your life because it's convenient. It's in your life because you are not willing to take some serious action against it. Some of you all need to quit that job. Some of you all need to break up with that boyfriend. Because you know the end result is not just going to be, oh, you're going to love Jesus less. It's going to be you're going to wind up dead in sin. And that's what God hates. Right? It, it, it's just a little bit of pornography. It's just a little alcohol here or there. It's just a little bit of this. It's just a little bit of that. You know, it's just a little bit of gossip. It's not full-blown gossip. It's not going to hurt anybody. God hates it because he knows it's going to come with a price. and It's a price he already paid. He doesn't want you to pay it again. It will be uncomfortable for a moment to take drastic action against sin. I'm talking, somebody needs to hear that they they have permission and God's going to enable them to do what he's asking them to do. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to cut off your hand. (laughs) Right? It's uncomfortable to couch out your eye. But in comparison to unquenchable fire in hell, Jesus isn't exaggerating there. He's not exaggerating that. He's saying, is it worth it? And I can give you the answer, it's yes. I named my son Phineas. He's a rock star. We're potty training. He's killing it. (laughs) Thanks for everybody at Red Mountain for putting up with us and our potty songs. But I was really moved when I was in ministry school by the story of Phineas, Phineas. (laughs) I can say my son's name, Uh, Phineas in Numbers chapter 25. If you're not familiar with it, it's this pretty graphic story. What was taking place in Israel is something called the heresy at Peor. And it was that uh, the Israelites were taking Midianite women and uh, they were intermingling, they were giving themselves in prostitution, And it was detestable to the Lord, and the Lord was going to wipe out Israel. He actually sent a plague, and thousands were falling under the hand of the Lord because they were given into into sexual immorality. Blatantly, right in front of Moses, right in front of Aaron the high priest, right in front of the Lord's anointed, it was taking place. It was a blatant affront and a disgrace to the Lord, much like the society that we live in. Sin was running rampant. And a zealous young man named Phineas saw what was taking place. And under the unction of the Holy Spirit, he took a spear, and this is not to be graphic, this is in the Bible. He took a spear and he shoved it into a tent where some things that were immoral were taking place. He wound up killing Uh, He wound up killing an Israelite man and a Midianite woman in doing so, but it stayed the hand of the Lord because he was moved by passion and zeal for the holiness of God. He was willing to take drastic action against sin that was a blatant affront to the Lord. And in doing so, he was remembered as one who fought for righteousness. Psalm 150 actually recounts and makes a promise that to Phineas and the rest of all of his offspring and generations, that it would be remembered and recounted to him as righteousness. When I was in ministry school, I had a young friend. And the sad thing about this is this young friend is not serving the Lord anymore. But he preached this particular passage of scripture and he talked about sometimes with sin you just have to put a spear through it. <laughs> it's not pretty. It's not fun. But it's quick and efficient. And Friends, that's marked me. That's left in my life and I, w- I pray to the Lord that he remembers that. <laughs> but sin, the only thing that it wants for you is your destruction and your demise. The plans of the enemy are not for you to have a temporary good time. That's a byproduct. That's a result sometimes. Most of the time, it's not even that good. I'm telling you, my life with Jesus is far better than my life ever was when I was kind of half in and half out of the world. I can tell you, coming home to my wife without any regret is 100% better than any of the fun I'm putting that in quotation marks for the podcast. Any of the fun that I had before I started serving Jesus. I'm telling you life in Jesus is so much better. But the enemy would like to portray it like, you know, sin's kind of fun, right? It's kind of good. But the only result, the only end aim of what the enemy wants for your life is destruction and separation for God. from God. You know, the enemy hates you. Because God loves you. But at the end of the day, you're not even that big of a deal to the devil. I, I believe this. That the devil so hates God that he just wants to hurt God by hurting you. You're his treasured possession. You're the Lord's favorite He's made you for communion and fellowship with him that he literally went to the ends of the earth. He died a horrific death on the cross so that you could be with him where he is. He paid a price that no one could pay. He did it for you. It says that it was the Lord's will to crush him because he wanted you. He still wants you. At the end of the day, we can't afford to not make a big deal about the sin that sent Jesus to the cross. In Paul's writings, in Colossians 3 specifically, he says to put to death the sinful nature. He uses this strong language. I don't know specifically what's going on in each and every one of your lives. I don't know what would exist that the Lord would want you to take drastic, intentional action against. But you just need to know there's permission to, there's permission to do it. Our society would say that we need to be considerate of other people and how they feel, and be responsible for their conduct and those things, when in reality, sometimes we just need to, we need to make clear decisions on what's best for us and our relationship with God. And that's okay. I remember my pastor, the greatest piece of advice that he gave me as a young man was that he sat me down. I remember sitting in his office. Pastor Josh Richardson, he's a great man of God. He's sitting in his other office, and he had the coolest office because he had these Bose speakers that ran all the way around. And I mean, he was just had the attention to detail. And we'd always listen to worship music up there. And he looked at me and he called me Beans because that was my nickname back then. And he looked at me straight in the eye and said, "Beans, you know it'll send you to hell faster than Satan himself." I said, no, I said, girls, girls are the devil. Beans, <laughs> stay away from them. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't need any help in that regard, but it was good advice still. <laughs> they kind of naturally stayed away. And I just remember, I've always taken that to heart. Girls, you are not the devil. You are not bad. I need you all to know that. I love you all. Um, you guys are great. But for me, at that moment in life, when I was a young punk teenager, you all were the devil to me. <laughs> you all were going to drag me straight down to the pit of hell. Um, and uh, I'm so thankful I found the right one. I love you, baby. Um, <laughs> but he'd sit me down and uh, told me that, you know what, Nate? Girls will send you to hell faster than Satan himself. And he told me this. You know, sometimes you need to be rude to them because they don't get the hint. And he gave me permission. He said, you know what, Nate? He actually he called me Beans. He never called me Nate. He didn't know my real name. Uh, for years later, I don't think. I started working at the church as a janitor, getting a paycheck. And when it came time for them to make me a paycheck, because I hadn't filled out a W-2 yet or a W-4, um, and they knew me to come fill out a W-4, but they wanted to pay me for the first week of work that I did. And they said, who do we make the checkout to? Not beans, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that was what everybody knew me about. Backtrack. But um, he gave me permission And he said, you know what, Nate, sometimes you need to be rude to some people and just cut them out of your life. And the Lord will take care of it. Um, Because sometimes just saying no, people don't get the hint. I had one time, I went on this date with this girl. And uh, her name was Hope. And she was a nice girl and whatnot. But it was very clear after like the first five minutes that this was not going to work out. You know, she kind of loved the Lord or whatnot. It was if you guys remember Cody Matson, he was here a few weeks ago. Now he has face tattoos and all that crazy stuff. Um, still loves the Lord, but just a uh, fun guy. Um, sh- don't take his advice on who to date. He set me up on this blind date. And I showed up, and, you know, we had this conversation saying, oh, yeah, okay. And at the end of the night, you know, I dropped her off and said, you know, I don't really think this is going to work out. I think maybe we should just be friends. I dropped her with that line, you know, I'm not – I thought I was being very clear with my intentions, trying to honor her and respect her. You know, I just, I don't, I don't see this going anywhere. I think maybe we should just pursue being friends rather than, um, I, I, it's not going to work out. And I mean, I used that language and she was disappointed, obviously. Because, I mean, she was talking about marriage and kids already. Like our first, like, our f- like we, we went to go get tacos. Like it was weird. Um, just realized, nope, not for me. She wound up being crazy, but um, (laughs) I was here in Pagosa driving up Putt Hill with some friends telling this story about this awkward first date I had with my friends. And she kept calling me and kept texting me. And I just, I I mean, I would respond with, sorry, can't talk right now. Or, hey, I really don't think this is going to work out. Being abundantly clear. Like, I don't think I could have been more clear than I was to the point where, I received a text message saying, hey, so when you said, like, we could just be friends, were you talking just like friends or like best friends? <laughs> and I just realized, this girl isn't getting it. <laughs> and I, I flat out had to tell her, you know, I don't like you, and I probably, I, I don't even want to be your friend. I'm sorry. Goodbye. <laughs> and that probably hurt her. <laughs> I'm not using this as an excuse. You're like, what does this have to do with sin? Uh, Pastor Nate, what I'm talking about is there are some times where you have to make a clear decision um, of cutting somebody off, of making change, and at the end of the day, sometimes you have to do what's best for you and trust that the Lord's going to take care of the other party. And I say that specifically in regards to relationships, but friendships as well. Um, All kinds of things that exist because there are relationships that we experience, There are jobs that we work at that probably the Lord doesn't want us to work at that we won't quit because we don't know how he's going to provide. There are things that the Lord asks us to do and we don't do it because we don't actually trust that he has things in control. And I really, the, the one thing that I felt from the Lord was that the Lord wants to prepare you and equip you by the power of the Holy Spirit to make some drastic action against sin you're struggling with pornography, get rid of your computer, get rid of your phone, get rid of your internet. I'm telling you, you're saying, I live in the 21st century. How can I do that? Guess what? People did it before. It'll be okay. You can figure it out. I saw a kid get free from pornography one time in the middle of a, middle of a worship set at our youth group. I was a senior in high school getting after Jesus I mean like it, God was moving and he comes up and he's got this brand new iPhone they had just come out I mean they were I mean and they were expensive and like you were cool if you had one I remember watching him in the middle of, uh, of singing a worship song I don't know what it was but I mean God was moving and he comes up and he smashes the thing on the altar I mean it's in pieces screen shattered and in my mind I'm like dude you could have sold that Give it to me. And the Lord checked my heart, guys. Seriously, he called me Judas. (laughs) That could have been sold to the poor. That could have been given to the poor. (laughs) Right? The Lord told me, that kid just experienced freedom. There's no price tag you can put on it. But oftentimes, we'll choose convenience over holiness because we're unwilling to change. And inevitably, it boils down to a light view of sin, of it not being a big deal, which inevitably results us in us robbing God of glory. Right? Hebrews 10 tells us that there's no longer a sacrifice that remains for sin if we go on living in it. That's not me trying to be the fire and primstone guy. I just really want you to know that it's a big deal to the Lord and he's paid the price. He's made every provision for us to live free from it and he wants to help you do so. He wants to equip you and enable you to take some drastic action towards the things that keep you from loving him. But he's not going to make you do it. He's a gentleman. He's there. He wants to help you. And I know there are people that serve Jesus that are here in this church. And I'm sure at your home churches, for those of you that are visiting, that want to enable you and help you and support you in combating the thing that God hates most because it keeps him from his kids. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I preached what you asked me to preach. I shared what you asked me to share. Lord, I'm simply asking that you would help us. Lord, I realize saying that we need to take drastic action against sin and actually doing it are two different things, but Lord, I believe by your spirit you can help us. I believe that you want to. Lord, I believe that you didn't pay that that extravagant price, Lord, of death on a cross. Lord, of what we read about in Isaiah 53, of being crushed by God, just simply so we could say a prayer and struggle through this thing that you hate so much and eventually get to heaven one day. Lord, you paid that price and you gave the gift of your Holy Spirit so that we could live triumphantly and victoriously over sin. And Lord, I'm asking for that reality to grab hold of us. Lord, I'm asking that you would stir some faith with inside your people. Lord, that they would actually believe that you are who you said you are. That you do what you said you're going to do. And Lord, that we can live holy. We want to honor you. We want to love you rightly, Jesus. Bless your name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.